I'm reading from Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is humankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, it's a real honor to be with you today. This is my second time in the Philippines, and it's a great honor to be back. And this morning, I want to talk about what you do and where you spend your time on the other six days of the week by which I mean your work. And when I say work, the simple way to say that is what you do all day, the other six days of the week, whether you get paid for it or not. Now you may say, oh, the answer to that is self-evident. Why do people work? Well, because they want to support themselves and their families. And that's fair enough. There's certainly enough evidence to show that probably the majority of the people in in our world don't really even work for a living. They actually work simply to survive. A a, a colleague of mine at Dallas Seminary, uh, Ramesh Richard, has actually produced a chart that shows that uh, uh, 91% of the world's population earns less than 10,000 U.S. dollars a year. And something like 40% earns less than $1,000 a year, hardly a livable wage. And in my country, we have an organization called the Gallup Polling Group, and they keep track of something they call employee engagement. Now, employee engagement means the extent to which a worker feels engaged with their work, meaning they feel a connection to the job. Their heart is in their work, we would say. The statistics show that in the United States, where I come from, about 30% of people are engaged with their work, but it means that 70% of workers are not engaged. When the Gallup organization looks at that same statistic globally, it finds that 87% of the workers in our world are not engaged with their work. In other words, their heart is not in the job. It's simply a job, and for many, it's, it's worse. So I will concede that most people experience work as toil, as labor. For some, it's even a curse. But I would point out that we experience work today as a result of the fall. You remember in Genesis 3, our original parents, Adam and Eve, ate the fruit that God told them not to eat, and as a result, God cursed the ground. But He did not curse work. He said the ground will produce thorns and thistles. It will will make work harder. Work will feel toilsome. But work itself was never cursed. 
Because from the beginning, God had a purpose for your work. And that purpose has never changed. Even after humans fell into sin, God's, perfect, God's purpose for work remains even to this day. Which brings us to the question that I posed a moment ago. Why work? Why do people work? And the simple answer from Scripture is that God gave humanity work because He wants the world and its people to flourish. Let's go back to Genesis 1, where God creates the universe, He creates the world, He creates the animals, He creates the plants, He sets up the environment, and then as, then as the ultimate act of creation, He creates two human creatures, male and female. The very first words that God says to these new creatures are called a blessing, but they amount to marching orders. They amount to a mission. Here's why I have put you here. What does he say? He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and rule over it. In short, God tells his new human creatures, I want you to make the world fruitful. The world on its own is not very fruitful. Have you ever noticed that? I've never stood next to a mountain of, say, iron ore or whatever. And out pops a Mercedes-Benz, just, just like that. I've never seen it happen. No. Somebody has to go into that mountain and extract the ore. And they have to turn that ore into metal that they can then fashion into the frame of a car and, a, and an engine. Somebody else has to go into the ground to get oil out of the ground and convert that into gasoline to put into that car so that the car will run. Somebody else has to lay down roads on which those cars will drive. Uh, somebody else has to educate the people that are going to do that work. Somebody else has to grow the food that's going to help feed the people that are going to do that work. Somebody else is going to have to take care of their, their physical bodily needs and whatever health needs that they have. Somebody else has got to come up with the financing for all of this stuff. Somebody else has got to attend to the spiritual and personal needs of these people. Do you get the point? This world has all kinds of things that have to happen to make it fruitful. But only human beings can add value to the world and its resources that cause the world and its people to flourish. And what we discover is that to each and every human being, God has given a means of causing the world and its people to flourish. We call that your giftedness, your giftedness. Each of you is born to do something that God intends to promote and cause human flourishing. So the purpose of our work is human flourishing. That's God's ori original intention for our work. That's, that's the core mission. Now, having said that, I fully concede that the place where you, you work may be far from that divine mission statement. In fact, the odds are great that it most definitely is far from that. And why should it not be when all of us as humans have in some way turned our backs on God and frankly live in rebellion against Him, choosing our own ways. And in doing so, we have in many ways turned work 
which God intended as a blessing into a curse. But of course, God has not turned His back on us. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, God has come into the world to restore us to a right relationship with Him, as well as to restore the world to what He envisioned all along, a place where humans would flourish. Which leads me to ask this question of you. What is your relationship to God today? Do you know Him? Have you ever told Him that you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior? You know, 2,000 years ago, a prison guard in the Greek city of Philippi was desperate after the prison he was guarding was rocked by an earthquake, opening the doors of the prison and leaving the prisoners free to escape. A situation like that could cost a prison guard his, his life. In his terrified state, he cried out to two of Jesus' followers and asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Meaning at that point to save his life. And they replied, in a broader way, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what you and I need to do. Turn to Jesus in faith, believing that He alone is the source of our salvation. He alone can restore us to a right standing with God. My message today is simple. Your work matters to God, and God has a purpose for your work. Whether or not you always see what that purpose is. That's as much as to say, God cares about you, and He has a purpose for you. So, I want to spend just a few moments asking you to apply this truth to your own work, whatever it happens to be. Quite apart from a paycheck, the real purpose of your work, the reason God gave it to you, is to cause the world and its people to flourish. Let's reflect on that truth. How might your work contribute to human flourishing? We obviously can't cover every line of work today because let's, let's, uh, there's just too many. But let's consider just a few to illustrate what I'm talking about. So, for example, let's say that you're a teacher. How does your work contribute to human flourishing? Well, to flourish, humans have to learn. They've got to get an education. And teachers, if they're gifted to the task, cause learning to take place. That's how they contribute. What if you're in a legal profession, perhaps as a lawyer or legal uh, assistant? You know, everything we do as human beings is based on trust. We enter into agreements, and we need clear expectations about the terms of those agreements. And so the question is, how, how will justice serve those items if, if they're violated? And you help us sort that stuff out. What if you're in accounting or finance? Well, God made humans to create value to the world and its resources, and you help manage the monetization 
of that value in ways that minimize risk and increase wealth. What about manufacturing? Well, humans rely on finished products to serve countless needs in their work, in their homes, in their places of where they live. You cause flourishing by supplying those products in a reliable way, which means they can be trusted to do what they're supposed to do. Many of you may be in IT of some sort. How does that contribute to human flourishing? Well, humans need to communicate and also to have tools that facilitate us working together effectively. So you cause flourishing by using your specialized knowledge and skills to provide the technology that serves those needs. Maybe you're in healthcare or medicine. Well, you know that God cares about the bodies of people every bit as much as He cares about their souls. And so your work can cause flourishing by helping people pursue health and well-being. And on the other hand, also seek to preserve life and restore health when people fall sick or get injured. Many of you might be in the field of construction of one sort or another. Human flourishing requires places and spaces in which people can live and work. So your work provides those homes, those apartment buildings, those, those uh, office buildings, those warehouses, those bridges, those buildings, those sanitation systems, whatever it is, and other physical structures that make those places possible. Are you in government or the military or law enforcement? You know, from the beginning, human communities have flourished only when they have laws and policies by which to operate. Those codes are meant to bring order and secure safety. So your work is about helping people live together in peace so that they can go about their lives and contribute to their communities. And then some of you may be in agriculture and the food industry. Obviously, again, God cares about the body. This is a very basic need for human beings. Human flourishing depends on a regular source and supply of food to feed that body. So your work makes those connections between the produce that the earth yields and the people who need it. And then there's a broad category of people who work in what we call the services. Uh, they could be plumbers, hotel and hospitality workers, cooks and waiters, auto mechanics, drivers, custodians, people that do dry cleaning, on and on and on. How does your work contribute to human flourishing? Well, flourishing often sounds very lofty, but so much of human life is lived out at a very, very mundane level. Gassing up the car, washing clothes, fixing hair, doing nails, making beds, fixing leaks, painting a room. Service workers keep life from bogging down. Their contributions may seem small, at least in the grand scope of things, but we have to remember that God is even in the small things of life. Martin Luther put it this way. He told dairy farmers and milkmaids back in his day, 
that God milks the cows through you. I love that. He also said God gives every good thing, but not just by waving a hand. No, he uses the work of people. There's another category in the workplace that often gets totally overlooked. That's the unpaid workers. As well as people who are elderly and retired, who are disabled, and of course, the many unemployed in our world. How does their work contribute to human flourishing? Because in one sense, it really doesn't, but it does. You see, human flourishing is about far more than a paycheck. Many of the greatest and most valuable gifts to the world will never get monetized. Let me suggest this thought to you. Changing a diaper has as much dignity and value before God as preaching a sermon or even translating the Bible. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus himself said, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. So I think in my own life, how does my 96-year-old mother, who has all her mental faculties, but her body can no longer get around, how does she help the world flourish at that age and in that state? Well, she has a steady supply of visitors who come to see her, mostly women. They come to talk with her and to talk about their cares and concerns, and she listens to them. And when they go away, she prays for them. That's profoundly useful to human flourishing, even if it doesn't get paid. My 87-year-old father, before he died, turned into a sweet old man who didn't really know a whole lot about what was going on. So how does he contribute to human flourishing? If nothing else... He helped the rest of us in our family and others learn about caring for, this, caring for and serving the helpless and the lowly. Now, I realize that your experience of work may have nothing to do seemingly with human flourishing. It may even seem like your job works against human flourishing. If you hate your job, your job's certainly not contributing to your flourishing. But if you can set aside for a moment the aspects of your work that are difficult or even distasteful, I want you to take your work back to Genesis 1 and place it there in the garden. That's where work began. That's where God gave work to human beings, including you. He said, cause the world and its people to flourish. Before your work got corrupted by sin, it was intended for a noble purpose. What was that purpose? Can you identify it? Our scripture passage this morning teaches us that God made us to rule over the works of His hands. <laughs> You may not feel like a ruler in your place of work. Far from it. 
But something there is under your control, no matter how big or small. It may be a team that you're in charge of. It may be a classroom that you're in control of. It may be a machine that you operate or a vehicle that you drive. It may be a set of policies that it's your responsibility to enforce. It may be a tool that you use. It may be a spreadsheet that you put together. It may be a table of customers waiting for a meal. It may simply be a desk. Somewhere in your work, you have responsibility over some part of God's creation, no matter how small. And in that space, in that space, you have an opportunity to declare, I dedicate this space and my responsibility over it to God, who made me and placed me here, and gave me this opportunity to rule over the works of His hands. So whatever happens here, whatever I have responsibility for, I'm going to do it to God's glory. I will do it to serve people well. All the people who are affected by the work that I do, whether I ever see them or not. In the end, this must be your prayer, in the end, my ultimate boss is in heaven. And he's placed me here in this time, in this place, to use all that he's given me to cause the world and its people to flourish. That's my job. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every worker listening to this message from your word, which tells us that you have placed them where they are to rule. You want them to rule as a servant rules the way Jesus did, with humility tempering their strengths that you've given them. But Lord, to each and every one of us, no matter how meager it may seem, you've given us a place with which to affect the work of your hands. Lord, that work has an effect on people around us and the creation that you've made. I pray for these workers, Lord, that they would put that work back in your hands to do it to your glory. That they would invite you into their work to be the Lord of it, to empower them as they do it. That the world might see the Lord in them and be blessed and needs be met and prayers be answered through the work of your people. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of work. Thank you, Lord, for all of your gifts. You are the God who loves us so deeply in everything we do. So we give it all back to you and ourselves at the front. May you be praised and glorified by the work of our hands. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.